is the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 2, Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Support for this season comes from Southern Exposure's Alternative Exposure Grant Program in partnership with Facebook's Artist in Residence Program and the Andy Warhol Foundation. If you find value in listening to Beyond the Studio, we'd love to ask you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's the easiest way to show us some love and to help others find the podcast. Thank you so much in advance for letting us know what you think and for supporting the show. You might hear some adult language used occasionally on the show, so please be mindful of those around you and pop in some headphones if needed. Today's episode is brought to you by Storyblocks, an amazing stock image, audio, and video platform that we've had the pleasure of working with before. When you sign up for Storyblocks, you get unlimited downloads from their member library, so you can try out any clip you want, including HD and 4K footage, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and much more. Don't forget, all their content is royalty-free, so you can use it for commercial and personal projects, and they're yours forever. So check out Storyblocks' incredible video library through our unique link storyblocks.com slash beyond the studio. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Studio. We're back from New York City this last week where we were attending Art World Conference. I am home in San Francisco and Amanda is back in Baltimore. And if you haven't caught up on Beyond the Studio and have no idea what we're talking about, we spent the last few days at Art World Conference in New York City, which is a brand new financial literacy and self-empowerment event for visual artists. So we thought that it would be a good opportunity for us to come together and share a little bit about what our experience was, talk about things that we've learned and taken away from the conference, and we're we're going next. So this was kind of a rare opportunity for Amanda and I to be together in person uh, because we live across the country now and are again recording virtually from our home studios. So being together really gave us a chance to not only experience Art World Conference, but to talk about the podcast, brainstorm lots of different ideas and directions. If you follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Studio, then you've probably seen us sharing a little bit about our time in New York. We also put out some polls to listeners uh, to hear what you all wanted to see or to hear more of from us at Beyond the Studio. So we thought we would share a little bit of that and talk about um, some ideas for where we're thinking of growing the podcast as Beyond the Studio is nearing the end of its second season and we're thinking ahead and have a lot of ideas for what's coming up. So just a couple questions that we posed to you, our listeners. In future episodes, would you want to hear more from guest artists or more from uh, your hosts, Amanda and I? Uh, 83% of you wanted to hear from guest artists. <laughs> so sorry, the first- We're so sorry, it's just hosts today. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, we thought it was important to kind of share a little more in depth of our experience at our World Conference since we've posted some initial 
glimpses on Instagram. We also asked you if you wanted to hear more from us online or in person, and 63% want to see more of us online. Would you want to hang out with us in person at meetups, conferences, art fairs, and speaking engagements? Most of you said yes. So we'll definitely be looking for more opportunities like this in the future. Yeah. Would you be interested in bonus members-only content? Yes or no? Uh, most of you said nah to that one. Yeah, that was a hard pass. <laughs> we like free stuff too, but running a podcast is not free. Yeah, I think uh, you know we're always trying to think of creative ways to sustain the podcast, but obviously want to make sure that it's adding value and that really at the heart of it is about sharing knowledge freely with each other. Um, so that was good to know. Do you prefer your episode frequency to be every week or uh, scaled back to every other Thursday? Uh, most of you like the weekly episode release, um, so we'll probably stick with that. Overwhelming majority of you wanted to hear more topical episodes. And if you have any topics that you want to hear us talk about specifically, shoot us an email or send us a direct message on Instagram. We would love to hear what you want us to dig deeper on. Yeah, and I feel like that is just an open invitation. We are always open to hearing what you think and what you want to hear more of. And we really appreciate everyone who did participate in our Instagram poll because it really is helping to shape the future direction of the podcast. It's really valuable to hear what you want. You also seem to want to hear more Q&A episodes and mini-sodes. Oh, here's a wild idea that we were excited to find out that you are also interested in, which is beyond the studio group retreats and residencies. 79% of you said yes to that. Finally, would you be interested in online educational content or courses? 86% of you said yes. So this has definitely given us a lot of thought as to different directions to take beyond the studio in. Not to worry, we fully intend to continue interviewing other artists about their career paths, hopefully on a weekly basis uh, after Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition ends. Um, as we've mentioned in the past, we'd love to expand that regionally and talk with artists from other geographic locations, continuing the conversation around how place and location plays a role in their career building so again thank you so much for your input on that um, it's really helpful for us as we think about how to move forward yeah and at the end of the day this podcast is for you guys also for us because we learn with every single episode but we really want to bring valuable information to you to help to demystify whatever art world or sphere you're in so that you can have a successful sustainable career path we really want to make it as as beneficial for all of us as possible and always forever grateful that we have the listenership that we do because it is so amazing that there are people listening to us and <laughs> that we're able to kind of all grow together and help each other out amen so should we talk about our time together while we were in New York? Yes, let's. You got to New York before I did. 
So you got to go visit some studios, visit some friends, see some art. I did. Yeah, it was a very productive trip. I really wanted to use this uh, cross-country trip since I don't get out to New York very often. Uh, And it'd been a couple years for me since moving out to the West Coast. So a chance to just reconnect with friends, uh, see some art. I visited the last day of the Hilma Off Clint exhibit at the Guggenheim. I was really wanting to get to. Um, I'd just seen a ton of friends go. My partner got to go earlier in the fall and... And I felt like I really needed to see that show. And the stars aligned that it was ending a couple days before Art World Conference started. So they were too close together. I felt like I just had to make the trip. So I got to see that exhibit, which was very important. And uh, got lots of good time together. I feel like it was just uh, kind of a retreat for us <laughs> beyond the studio. Yeah. It definitely was. I feel like we got to have a lot of time to hang out and catch up before we even went to the conference. And we got to do a lot of planning for the podcast. And part of that was running the poll to come up with some ideas for where we could move it forward. But we were also able to, and this is something that I'm kind of obsessed with, is I really love personality types. I'm always interested in what my horoscope has to say about me. I'm interested in tarot, like anything that involves introspection and better understanding myself, I am all about. And one of, it's like a family favorite for my siblings and I, one of our favorites is the Enneagram test, which is a personality test and you can Google it. It's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. And there are free tests online so that you can learn your personality. But one of the reasons I love this one so much is because it's pretty comprehensive. It breaks your personality down into nine kind of dominant personality types. And then you can have these other combinations of numbers that you go to when you're in moments of stress, when you're really thriving, kind of depending on all these different factors of how you develop into a human and and develop your personality. But one of the things that I find most interesting about it is it really gives you a lot of insight into yourself, of course, but when you know what other people's numbers are as well, you can really start to learn how to interact with them, where their stressors lie, when they're thriving, what kind of energy and communication they need, and we got to learn our own personalities and each other's and kind of can see where we can move forward in our business knowing our personalities better. Yeah, it was surprisingly insightful. I had heard of it before because I think it's come up in past conversations, even on the podcast, but for some reason I just never looked into it or... I'd never gone through the process before, and I feel like to call it a personality test even sounds like a little flat, but it was so layered, which was what was amazing to me is that it really, within each of these core traits like you were describing, there are all these different variations and layers to that depending on you know, what kind of a, like, are you in a healthy state of being? Are you stressed out? Sort of like what your tendencies are in, so like very situational. And I can't believe I've never really gotten into this before because I feel like, you know, Amanda, you and I both are interested in like self-improvement and Mm -hmm. I think just like 
continuing education and, uh, you know, have my own little library collection of self-help books. And so I feel like this kind of level of self-awareness is just another tool to be able to understand not only yourself, but like you said, how you relate to others. And now I'm really excited to get into it and to have, you know, other people that I love in my life try and (laughs) go through this so that we can talk more about it. But I learned through this process that I am a six, which in the most succinct summary is the loyalist type, which is uh, security-oriented, committed, engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. And... I feel like so anxious. <laughs> I can definitely relate to a lot of those <laughs> qualities. Um, just wanting to, you know, maintain really deep personal relationships with a kind of small group of people around me. But having almost this like dual personality is one of my takeaways that there's this like general or maybe like a very put together like external facade, but there can often be a lot of internal chaos behind that and so just the importance of striving for balance and inner peace and those kinds of priorities uh, I feel like really ring true for me I'm also Libra so that's you know where that's coming from but just the (laughs) the um I guess being able to attach this just general feeling of anxiety to more of like a behavioral tendency, I feel like kind of helps to understand, oh, these are the conditions that I really need in my life to thrive and feel great and motivated. And, you know, on the reverse, like where I tend to go when I'm most stressed out. And it was it was just a really informative process that you've been doing it for a while, Amanda. So I feel like you have a much yeah. deeper understanding and I'm just getting into it. But even in that time, I've had people reaching out like, oh, this has been so transformative for me and or for you know, me and my partner or whatever. So I feel like it's, it's definitely something worth looking more into. Oh yeah, one of my favorite things. And for the record, I am a four, which is the individualist type. And it basically says uh, people of this personality type tend to build their identities around their perception of themselves as being somehow different or unique. Thus, they are self-consciously individualistic, which sounds super narcissistic. <laughs> I don't think that all of them are do all... a little bit, though. So I think that's... right. I mean, it's all about learning about yourself. So there's only so far you can go with that. But I've gone through and kind of been doing this since. I was in high school because it was something I had learned from a group of friends that I was in in my early teen development. Um, And I'm actually surprised that I never had you do the Enneagram test before because if you are new to this show, uh, Nicole and I were roommates for many years before we became business partners. Yeah, I highly recommend looking up your number and taking the test. Um, It's really just one of the most comprehensive personality tests that I've ever tried. I've done the Myers-Briggs and I think I am like right on the cusp of being an ENFJ, INFJ, just sort of situational. I highly recommend looking up your personality because it's incredibly helpful to understand what motivates you, what makes you tick, what types of situations stress you out so that you can 
kind of put your best foot forward. And even more than that, I think it's really important to understand if you're in a romantic partnership, a business partnership, if you have a close friend and family members, it's really helpful to know their point of view because I think it's very easy for us to project our own perspective in conversations and in circumstances. Like say you have an argument with someone, you're like playing the conversation in your head of where you expect it to go and it never actually goes that way because you're talking to a completely different person from yourself. And it's just been one of the most beneficial tools. I am pretty positive that I made my now husband take the test the first night we hung out. (laughs) (laughs) It was a literal test. You're like, let's see how compatible we are. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he just came over to hang out. And then I was like, oh, just real casually. <laughs> let me just go into the deeper inner workings of your psyche and learn everything about you. For the record, it took like an hour to do this test. So it's yes. not like a quick sit down. Uh, you're done in 15 minutes. No, no, it's not like a five question test. It's it's pretty comprehensive. And you were able to do it with, they have these cards that list different personality characteristics and you pick out the ones that make the most sense to you. And then based on the ones that you picked out, that kind of narrows down your number and then you can go from there. But it's really interesting knowing that it basically made perfect sense once it all came together. And I was like, oh yeah, based off of years of friendship with you and also running a business with you, I totally understand that this is definitely your number. (laughs) Right. It seems very natural when you kind of find your number. I feel like it also, for me, really helped to shed some light on the last like couple of years, I would say. And, you know, we've talked on the podcast before about our own personal journeys. And for me, that's been moving out to San Francisco and making this shift to focus more on my studio practice and, you know, moving in between kind of more structured full-time day jobs to being almost entirely self-employed, working different part-time and freelance jobs and more or less working for myself. And I think throughout all of that, I've talked in the past about how much unknown and anxiety goes along with that of not knowing what the next steps are and I think you know I just chalked a lot of that up to the nature of being a self-employed artist and also moving cross-country and that you know that was sort of the root of that feeling of instability but I think going through this process really helped me see that I think it also had to do with really stretching and kind of working on the fringe of my comfort zone for a really long time so if you are new to the test the the six loyalist is known to be committed security oriented type reliable hardworking, responsible trustworthy uh, able to see foresee problems and foster cooperation but can also become defensive evasive and anxious they can be cautious and indecisive but also reactive um, typically have problems with self-doubt and suspicion so key motivations are wanting to have security to feel supported by others to have reassurances um, to fight against anxiety and insecurity and so I think just kind of realizing that about myself sounds so like self-evident but it just gave me a new way of looking at the last few years of my life and realizing that you know part of it was that I think I was just really kind of pushing on the outer edge of my comfort zone and that's what was creating this, you know, not having this sense of stability or security and really trying to create my own way was leading to a feeling of being imbalanced. Um, So I I think it just, you know, kind of helped to shift the way that 
I was thinking about my own kind of life and career path and I feel like something that I want to prioritize more is that introspection you know taking time to really create systems and create a sense of inner balance and um, to, to really you know pay attention to that because I think I kind of underestimated how important that was to my overall well well-being and just feeling kind of centered around all of these external changes yeah and my personality type has so it's quite different because fours kind of value their freedom to be very flexible and their independence and really kind of charging down their own path and there's also a lot of moodiness involved which yeah I got that (laughs) um But it's like, oh, that makes total sense that you're working for yourself. Like you thrive under those conditions and that's really... Yeah. And I mean, on the opposite side of it, I've learned that I need some structure in order to keep my days under control because I can kind of become very like a martyr for my work and just pour all of myself into it, which is really unhealthy for me. Oh yeah, but my moodiness comes into play a lot with my work because sometimes I just don't fucking feel like it and it's really hard for me to push myself when I'm not feeling it and then there are other times where I'm feeling it so much and I'm in the zone and I'm ready to just make it happen but I've learned that that's a part of my personality and I can't always push through it so if it's not happening I need to respect that boundary of myself that like yeah, my moods dictate what I can and cannot do throughout the day regarding creativity, especially like things that requires me. I mean, everything I do requires me, but. Yeah, I think we've learned though as artists that that self-awareness is really key and a, a really important foundation for, you know, all the decisions that you're making because it is so much more open-ended and in flux and there is a lot of time where you're creating your own path forward. And so I think that we've come back to this a lot in different ways in having conversations with other artists too, but just developing your own sense of self, your own purpose, really getting to know what that looks like, your own definition of success, but also just understanding your own tendencies, your own routines, and the kind of structure that you need in your own life to to feel like you're making progress and to be happy and successful. So I feel like it all does come back to self-awareness in a way. Yeah. And we could always, in the future, if you guys are interested in more about personality tests, we could talk about some more and how they can kind of dictate how you would run your business or your art practice. Because those are things that I'm obviously very interested in as the the most introspective type (laughs) yeah well should we talk a little bit about art world conference yes this was the reason we went to New York despite (laughs) the fact that it was also a great opportunity to catch up and get to know each other and ourselves even deeper yeah yes really it's always just an excuse for Amanda and I to get together but we had I think a really productive time there um, connecting with other artists and also attending as many sessions as we could Uh, we thought that we would give you 
a little bit of a run through of each day of the conference. Uh, so this was broken into Friday, Saturday. There were back-to-back panel discussions. And then Saturday, there were breakout sessions that were more topical. So Amanda and I really spread ourselves out to try and get to as many as possible and to take in questions from you. So we were glad to get some feedback from you all via Instagram at Beyond the Studio. Um, you submitted some questions, which we tried to make sure we brought up in the sessions that we attended but you all were really interested in hearing more about storytelling that came up a few times so maybe that's a good starting point that was actually the very first panel discussion on friday was defining your business uh, storytelling and i think for me the main takeaway with that was storytelling being an entry point or a starting point to connection and conversation you know they talked a little bit about storytelling in different forms whether through your artist statement just the way that you're sharing and presenting your work but that you know thinking about the most appropriate platform or way to tell your story the language that you use these things are all kind of interconnected but really at the heart of it is the idea that as artists we're all creating worlds and there was a quote I pulled um, that I felt captured this really well um, which is that we're creating worlds that we want others to feel at home in. That was from Prague Vartanian, the editor of Hyperallergic. So related to, you know, things like artist statements, I feel like within the art world especially, there's a lot of esoteric language used often. It can feel kind of alienating. You know, if you've ever walked into a museum, you've probably had to quietly Google search at least one word in the description to try and get an understanding of what they're talking about. So I feel like that was a big part of the conversation is just, you know, using your your statements, writing about your work in a way that's not creating more of a barrier between you and your audience, but rather trying to think about using it as a gateway that lets people in to your work and your world and kind of takes people along the journey with you. So that was one of my key takeaways from that session. Amanda, was there anything else that you remembered really standing out to you? The whole conference in general, I guess I should start with this disclaimer, was super interesting to me because it was definitely geared towards the fine art world, envisioning getting your work into galleries, working with curators, uh, trying to get your work into museums, like much more fine art. And I exist very much in the online business, product-based business, craft business, Mm -hmm. that side of it. Of course, I do still participate in some more fine art events, and I've put my work into galleries before, and I actually have a show that I'm going to be in in a couple of weeks, um, which I will share when that gets a little closer. Uh, It is going to be here in Baltimore. But I really enjoyed hearing them talk about storytelling, because at the end of the day, it kind of all comes down to the same thing. If you are creating something that you want to share with other people, visually especially, you're probably going to have to pair it with words in some fashion. And for me, a lot of times, that is Instagram posts, that is the copy for all of my listings on my shop. It, It goes down to like the frequently asked questions on my website. I'm trying to tell a consistent story as well. It's important that I come across from the same voice, and that applies whether you're selling products, 
or art or not even trying to sell your art. You just want to get it in front of people. The message was pretty much across the board to be yourself and your language, to tell your story very authentically from your point of view, because you are the creator. And Mm -hmm. if people want to hear your words, they probably want to hear them in the way in which you would say them. Of course, if it is a like much more professional capacity, you want to clean up your language a little bit. I probably wouldn't be like, hey, this is my fucking store. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this is my art, guys. You want to speak a little bit this feels a little more, more intentionally. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess to be fair, if someone came on my store, they probably would be like, oh, it's there's like swear words. Not surprised. <laughs> but yes, I think that communicating a story is going to apply in the same way across the board, regardless of what story you're telling, uh, as long as it's coming from you. Yeah, you just reminded me of another thing that stood out about that session, which was that your content and your audience are created together. And I think that there's this myth sometimes around if you build it, they will come, you know, like just make the work, like focus on making great work and then everything else will kind of fall into place. And so that idea to me was a little bit, a little bit of a revelation in that, oh no, this is actually something that you should be cultivating at the same time giving equal attention to not just making your work but creating a community around that and I feel like a lot of the the topics and talks came back to this idea of creating community which we'll talk more about or maybe that's just one of my takeaways because we're always thinking about that in terms of the podcast but I thought that was another interesting piece about the storytelling aspect is that it's not a sort of sequential process where like you're creating content and then you're building an audience or like then you're telling your story but they're really things that you're co-creating there was another thing that one of the panelists Sarah Razo said about creating platforms for sharing your own story too like obviously there are a lot of existing ways to do this whether it is through writing online or through social media but you know if there's not an adequate place or format for sharing your own story then feeling the liberty to create your own talks or create your own peer networks just having the autonomy of an artist to create your own dialogue I'm looking at my notebook right now because I took a lot of notes while we were at Art World Conference. And most of them were quotes from some of the panelists and speakers because they just had a lot of really interesting things to say. But one of the things that I really loved was from Sarah Raza. Yeah, that's the same artist that maybe it's... What what quote do you got? (laughs) I got... the best artist statement is a studio visit, but that's not always possible. So how can we translate the experience of a studio visit into an artist statement? Mm. Amanda and I were sitting next to each other. I feel like we were just scribbling down at the same time. So we probably yeah. have the same quotes in our notebook. Yeah, probably a lot of the same ones. And I felt like every time someone said something amazing, I'm like looking over at Nicole and I'm like, oh my God, that's so good. And then anytime anyone said something ridiculous, I'm like, ooh, hot take. (laughs) Yeah, some of that, but mostly good stuff. And one of the things that I appreciated that Antoine Sargent said was, even if you're not a writer, write about your work anyways. And that's that's something that I really needed to hear because I really desperately want to be good at writing, but I am not good at writing. (laughs) But I'm not going to get good at writing if I'm not writing. 
And I think that it's very easy when you feel like something is not playing to your strengths to just not do it or to keep putting it off. But at the end of the day, if you're an artist and you want to get your work in front of people, you're going to have to write about it at some point, even if you're just getting the most basic artist statement or artist bio out there, you have to be able to talk about yourself and write about your work. And if you're not confident with your writing, I am certain that you know people who are good at writing and would be happy to give you some feedback. So that's what I usually do when I'm writing. I have a best friend in her PhD program right now who is an excellent writer, and I always give her my work for all of the many, many grammatical errors so that she can help me out because I use commas like nobody's business in places where commas have no business. (laughs) (laughs) And... Uh, I usually send it to a couple friends as well for their feedback, like Nicole. Yeah, that's a great reminder. It definitely does take practice. I mean, I feel like I'll find applications that I've written from a few years ago even, and it's uh, it's hard to read read them. So at least I feel like there's been some improvement, but I think the more that you do it and the more that you're kind of honing the language around, you know, what you want to say, the the better it really does get. Yeah. So that was storytelling. Did you have any more for that one? I think those were my main takeaways. It was a little broader, I think, you know, again, these were panel discussions, so it wasn't quite as uh, tactical as some of the sessions on day two, but I feel like that's a good segue into the next panel, which was you as gatekeeper defining goals and initiating opportunities. And there was a lot about this one that I liked because it had a lot to do with cultivating community and something that they kind of talked about was the difference between institutions and grassroots initiatives or just uh, these sort of like perceived notions of gatekeepers along the way, right? And I think one of the the takeaways was that institutions are really just groups of people working together. Um, So really, you know, viewing everything as just relational um, at kind of whatever level you're dealing with. I thought this was one of the most, like one of the more empowering panels because it was essentially don't wait for the opportunities to open up for you, create your own opportunities. You are surrounded by community and you just have to work with them and connect with them. And if you're like, hey, I want my work in a gallery and no gallery is accepting your work, you can probably create your own show. And I think it was Alex Pack from Tiger Strikes Asteroid in New York. Yes. And he was talking about creating your own opportunities. And it's it's really not that hard. I definitely know a lot of friends that have started their own craft shows, started their own pop-up shops, started their own gallery events, their own shows. Actually, my very first show that I was ever in that started Close Call Studio for Real was an art show that a friend of mine put together because she had so many artist friends that she wanted to get together for a show. And it started my business, which is now sustaining my life. So really don't underestimate the power of your community and your peers and yourself because artists are some of the most creative and innovative thinkers. And we find ways to make crazy shit happen and work. 
the fact that I am living off of my business blows my mind every day because it shouldn't be possible, but it is because I figured it out. And I'm sure there are so many things that you have figured out and that listeners have figured out that they definitely think that they couldn't, and then they did. Yeah. And sometimes you just need a little kick in the butt to push you to make it happen. But don't let someone saying no to you be an excuse for you not to do what you want to do. Yeah. Unless it's illegal. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, we all know this, but we have to be reminded um, so many times. And I think this panel was just a great reminder from, you know, this diverse group of artists who have all created their own opportunities in different ways. And so it really felt empowering just to hear a little bit of their stories and how um, it really just came back to those relationships, just a small group of people getting together and trying to make something happen. Yeah. The next couple of panels were starting to get a little more specific as far as tackling different topics um, that you might face as an independent artist or business owner. The next one was real estate for visual artists, fight or flight, which talked a lot about the uh, issue of space in New York City. This is something that I thought was interesting because as an artist living in San Francisco, there are a lot of similar issues around cost of living, housing, and what that means for, well, many communities, but artists included. And I felt like, interestingly, this panel ended up coming back to the idea of community too. You know, there were some really specific issues talked about related to New York City, but I think more than anything, it just reminded me of the importance of being involved and being a part of your own community, whatever that looks like locally, you know, within your neighborhood, and that the best way to kind of tackle these large systemic issues around housing, affordability, rent control, you know, all of these kind of larger political issues really starts at a more grassroots level with just getting to know your neighbors, starting to to show up to community meetings, you know, being a kind of active participant in your own neighborhood and that consequently the more we involve ourselves as artists the more pull we'll have on issues of housing. It was also I think a good thing to think about as artists and people living in cities where there are issues of gentrification which is really all cities to some extent but uh, you know obviously being in San Francisco this is huge as the most expensive city in the country so I think you know it was a good reminder to me uh, about how to avoid becoming an agent of displacement and that again has to do with just joining your community um, learning to think of yourself not just as a solo actor which you know if anyone has lived in a city you know that it can feel kind of isolating and I live in a apartment building with nearly 60 other units and I'm familiar with some of my neighbors but for the most part uh, you know we just kind of go about our daily lives and so I think it's really easy to just hole up in your own like little experience and forget to connect with the people around you so that was one of the things that I really walked away with felt like you know something I haven't been doing really need to start is just to 
involve yourself because this you know that sort of independence or just being dispersed is what makes us exploitable so that was the thing I think they were trying to get across was that the more kind of individualized your efforts are the more likely that there'll be larger (laughs) groups or developers or whoever um, that are looking to exploit that good takeaway for anyone living in a city protecting artists rights I think my two main takeaways from that are just um, you should join the artist rights society Society. That's an organization I learned about. Uh, it's free and they advocate on behalf of artists. They'll also look out for instances of copyright infringement and let you know about it. Artist Rights Society and then uh, your copyright is your legacy so you should protect it. You know the use of your images um, is really important to your legacy as an artist. Yeah and if you get into a position where you are working with a contract and you have never done that before I highly recommend having it looked over by someone who understands all of the crazy legal jargon that is often involved in contracts. I had a contract with anthropology when I like licensed my work through them. And if I hadn't had an attorney friend of mine look it over, I would have given up a lot of stuff. And she was able to help me to fix the parameters of my contract to make sure that I still own the rights to my my materials and my designs and that I was still paid adequately for it, that the contract had an end date, that it had limitations, that anything beyond that would require drafting up a whole new contract. These are things that I personally, as an educated artist, but not as an educated lawyer, I didn't understand. And I was just like, oh yeah, that looks fine. I don't know 90% of the words on this page. So I know where it says sign your name, but yep. <laughs> don't sign anything without without having it looked over or at least learning what the terms of your contract means. Yeah. And if you don't have a lawyer friend who can look over your contracts for you, Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts is a great place to start. They often do free consultations and that's a great resource as well. Yeah. And there were a few different things that they recommended in the panel. One was the Copyright Alliance, Docracy.com, Copyright.gov, the Art Act, up council. So these were a lot of different things that were recommended in the panel that we can include links to uh, if you want to look up the resources that were recommended to us. The next panel was on sustainability, economic, and personal strategies for long-term success. I thought one of the more interesting things about this conversation was just that business is uh, really just a structure to support your creative practice. So I feel like this kind of addressed the maybe some of the hang-ups that artists who might be coming to their career paths have when thinking about business as this some something that's uh, like diametrically opposed to their work as an artist you know and I feel like this conversation just kind of opened up the idea that you know as an artist you're you have a lot of different identities and you're also straddling multiple economies multiple systems you know you might be working in a space where you're creating objects or like products 
perhaps as well as services and so there are just a lot of different facets to your work and life as an artist and business is just another thing that gives additional structure to your creative work so if you are thinking about formalizing uh, your work as an independent artist into something like an llc or an s corp you know these are all just options available to you to make your life a little bit easier yeah and know that however you are setting up your art practice as a business, take the time to learn and understand what that means regarding your taxes, because there's a very big difference between your taxes as a self-employed artist and your taxes as an employed artist. Things look real different, but at the end of the day, learning to treat your art practice as a business keeps you right and tight for your taxes, of course, but it also helps you to think like a business so that you know that you're not selling yourself short, that you're charging what you're worth, that you are keeping track of your expenses and your inventory in a really good way. This is something that has come pretty easily to me running Close Call Studio because that is a product-based business. So I have been tracking my expenses for a real long time, but I've been used to treating my art practice as a business for years and it has helped me a lot. And I didn't realize how much I had benefited from it until I had come to some of the lectures and classes over the weekend and heard some of the questions that other artists had. And I realized that treating my art practice as a business from day one has really helped me a lot. And I think it's probably part of one of the reasons why I'm able to have it be my job. Plus living in an affordable city. I could not do this in New York or in San Francisco. So that is important to know. I feel like there's there's a lot of good stuff in here. And part of it's just like us processing it verbally as we're going through it. So mm-hmm. I'm sure listening back, it'll be easy to identify what's really good takeaways. And- yeah. And I think in the future, some of the topics that we learned about would be great to do for topical episodes. I went to this really phenomenal lecture on how to set up a successful PR campaign, and I did not expect it to be as comprehensive as it was, and I am still unpacking it, but I was looking over the information earlier with my partner, and he's a musician, so looking it over with him, and he's like, oh yeah, like all of this could be applied to launching an album in the same way it would be launching a new season of the Mm. podcast or launching a new product line or launching a new event, a show, whatever. Yeah. So I think that some of the topics are really applicable across the board to whatever your practice is. Yeah. And those would be great ones to have a full-length episode kind of digging deeper. So we're getting to the point where we're obviously talking a lot about the conference, which was awesome. And I am so glad that we went. But there was so much information that we got while we were there and so much that we learned. It is kind of impossible to fit collectively like 16 hours of learned information into one hour podcast episode. So we are going to start introducing every other week, roughly. We're not really on a set schedule aside from trying to release every week, but we're going to start including some more topical episodes so that we can dig deeper into things regarding like financial planning for your art business and pricing your work and personality types for business owners and artists. 
social media and how terrifying that is. Yes. And based on feedback from you all from the poll that we sent out on Instagram last week, it sounds like this is something that you're interested in. But we hope that you'll continue to provide us feedback on um, the kinds of topics that you want to hear about. Or if you're really not that interested in topical episodes, um, please join the conversation and just let us know what you think. I feel like that is really related to the very last session of the conference which was about audience and community uh, what are you building and we are really thinking about um, beyond the studio as a community so trying to create more avenues for feedback um, and engagement from you to hear what you think um, and what you want to see more of so you can always send us a message on instagram at beyond the studio you can email us at beyond the studio podcast at gmail.com and let us know what you'd like to see yeah we've would love to hear any questions that you want us to tackle on the podcast, any topics that you want us to discuss for mini episodes or even full length episodes, or even any specific questions that you want us to ask our guests. I know I have friends that are listeners and we've talked about this before and they've recommended some so many great questions that I've never even thought of and we don't know what to ask other than our own curious questions unless you tell us. We also love hearing what artists you would love to hear on the show. So just just submit everything our way. We're really open to feedback and we really want to grow as a community. Thanks so much for listening to the show and for giving us your feedback. It really means a lot to us. It really helps the show to grow because as much as we are your hosts, we are simply the conduits of this information and we hope that really valuable knowledge and advice is coming your way. And if it's not, Tell us how we can make it better because we always want to be growing and improving and we can't do it without you. Thank you so much for following along and allowing us to share our experience in New York and at Art World Conference with you. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with another full-length interview as part of Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition. And it was an artist that we completely unplanned got to run into while we were in New York at Art World Conference. But we'll leave it at that, and you can check back next week to find out who it is. Yes. Stay tuned, stay subscribed, and please write us a rating and a review on iTunes if that's where you're listening to us from. It makes a huge difference for artists to find our show so that we can help them the way we're helping you. And tell your friends, because if you believe in us, we think your friends probably would too. All right, that's all I got. Today's episode is brought to you by Storyblocks an incredible stock image, audio, and video platform that's always adding fresh new content. With their subscription, you can get exclusive discounts on their millions of marketplace clips at one low cost, giving you more options to finish your project and stretch your creativity. So check out Storyblocks video library through our unique download link, www.storyblocks.com slash beyond the studio. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. The the, words. (laughs) 
uh, you as the gatekeeper. Hmm. Gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Craft short. Put our best for. Mm. Words. Put our best foot forward. I feel like the blooper reel is just gonna be me. Mm, like words. Being like, mm, words. <laughs> as all of my like all as of all of my words change. just fall out backwards. Yeah, it's just gonna be mm, words. Mm, words. Ah, words. Oh, words. <laughs> uh. Guys, I edit out all of my stammering because I stammer a lot, so I've I fumble over my words. I get too excited and the words start falling out backwards and then they're not <laughs> words anymore. They're just weird sounds. <laughs>